which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd. The church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now notice, the basis of it is God's work through Jesus Christ. It is his precious, sinless, pure blood that was given for us that makes it possible for us to do anything. Without him, I can do nothing. Not a little bit, not, but nothing. Yeah, it all comes back to why we're celebrating communion. Because it's all because of him. So that's the basis of it. But notice it says two things about focusing. You do need to focus on yourself. Be on guard for yourselves. I am not a swashbuckler, but I have seen movies where the guy goes, on guard, and he's, you know, it's like, be on the alert because something bad's going to happen. I'm going to try to take you out or whatever it is. Well, you know what? You have an enemy who is trying to take you out. Actually, you have three enemies, the world, the flesh. Oh, that's you? Oh, yeah. Hey, you know who my worst enemy is? He's got his hand up and he's standing in front of you. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, you're probably your own worst enemy too. Okay? And the devil. We have no problem with that. But yeah, the world is trying to get us in the wrong direction. The devil is trying to do that. Oh, and by the way, there's a battle going on inside of me all the time. That's the way it is. So I need to be on guard for myself. I need to protect myself. See, I cannot minister to anyone else unless I'm right with God. If I'm not living for him, there's no way anybody wants anything to do with what I have. And then it says, and, and I put in there in parentheses, be on your guard for all the flock. Because the way it's written in Greek, that's what it means. Be on guard for yourself and be on guard for all the flock. That is those you minister to. I don't know if you know this or not. You probably do. You may not like it. But if you claim the name of Christ and you claim to be a Christian... Everybody has a higher standard for you than you have for yourself, and particularly the world. I remember when I got saved, I was just like everybody else, and I got saved and I started talking about getting saved. All of a sudden, oh, do Christians act that way? They never said that to me before. All of a sudden, the standard went higher. I didn't like it, but you know what? Absolutely, they should have a higher standard, right? Yeah, they should have a higher standard. And guess what? You should be living a higher standard. So you need to be on guard, not only for yourselves, living for the Lord, but you have to realize on guard for them because they're going to look at you and you are the only Bible that they're going to read in most cases. That's going to be their start. You can quote scripture and all that, and I hope you do. On the other hand, they're watching you. So you need to be on guard. And notice it says that you didn't choose this. Isn't that interesting? It says, be among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You see, this is not something where we go, you better do this. You would go out of here discouraged because you go, I can't do it. Well, guess what? I can't do it either. But it's the Holy Spirit who is the one who does the work, who equips us, who helps us, empowers us to do what we need to do. So guess what? I remember when I was first a Christian, I would argue with people thinking I'm doing ministry. I'll tell you what, I got put in my place because the guy was a lot more mature than I said, you know what, that's not how you witness to people. You don't argue with them. He was absolutely right. By the way, I was not appreciative of that comment when it happened. On the other hand, I now understand exactly what he was saying. You know what? 
My job is not to convince people. My job is to tell them the truth and live the truth. The Holy Spirit is the one who works in us and through us and in the other life, a person's life. That's the bottom line for ministry. So my philosophy is I have a responsibility to be obedient, live by faith, and live it out as an example. But the Holy Spirit is the one I depend on for results. He is the one that gives the increase. And it goes on uh, to uh, make it clear that we need to realize that everything we do has an impact on other people's lives. We work on his behalf. We have a responsibility to do that. The second point this morning is that we need to be alert to false doctrine and false teachers. Uh, A few months ago, I had a sermon on discernment because I believe that one of the Worst thing that's happening in the church today is not some particular doctrine, but it's a particular mindset that anything that has, well, they quoted a Bible verse, or they used the name of God, or it was spiritual, that must be of God. That is just totally false. Because Satan is in the process of giving false doctrine. The world is telling us it's okay just to be spiritual and all those things. But we need to understand that if you're going to be in ministry, you better know what you believe and you better have at least a little bit of an idea of how to express and to teach the truth. And uh, you don't know all the answers? I don't know the answers. I study every week. Why do I study? Because I don't know all the answers. I've been doing this for 29 years now and... Before that, for another 15 years, you know, not as a pastor. And I'm still studying just as much or more now than I did back then. You know why? Because all these years later, I realize how much I don't know. Now, I, I know more than I did 40 years ago, 45 years ago. I know more now. But I now realize how much I still have to learn. And not only have to learn intellectually, but learn to live out. That's a huge difference. And it's, a, it's the minds that we need to have. But it says, know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. Not sparing the flock. I, if I watch TV, I like to watch some of the nature programs. I despise the millions of years stuff and the evolution stuff. But I do like watching how God has created and I have yet to see a predator in one of these things or a predator in real life that said, I'm going to gently kill the zebra or the antelope. No, it's wham, you know, and claws and teeth and everything. You know what? It says savage wolves. Yeah. You know what? The world would love to tear you apart and destroy you. And the more that you want to serve the Lord, the worse it gets. I just used that a couple days ago in counseling. It's like, yeah, you want to be in ministry? Guess what? Satan's going to attack you. There's no doubt about it. He's going to attack as a savage wolf. In fact is, you know what it says, and I have it on your paper there. Satan, he goes around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. No way do we have a truce or do we make peace with our enemy. It's just that simple. But that's from the outside. Pretty easy to tell the difference between prey and predator. 
The prey got teeth and claws and they're coming for you. Pretty overt, pretty right out there. You don't say, oh, isn't it nice, nice kitty cat. Yeah, you don't do that. It just doesn't work that way. The one that's the hard one is the second one. We didn't get to that one yet. Verse 30, and, notice it says, and, from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. I remember about 40 years ago, hearing for the first time and thinking, how could this be? I got saved about 43 years ago. And I'm like, they said, I, I heard for the first time in my life that cults would actually have people go into churches, evangelical churches, and when they would see people give a testimony or go forward at an altar call or, or give a, whatever, they would see a young Christian and they would befriend them to lead them astray. And I thought, nobody would do that. Yep, they did. But you know what? doesn't even have to be that. Because, and we've had to deal with that a few times, very few times at Garden Chapel, but we've had to deal with that. That somebody would begin to spread false doctrine among the congregation. And we would have to go to them. Sometimes I had to do that personally, but sometimes as an elder board we had to do that. Not a fun thing to do. But guess what? They're a lot harder to spot than somebody that's overt from the outside. He says, you need to protect yourself. Well, guess what? The Apostle Paul, this is kind of like a one-night, quick-stop kind of thing. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he's writing to Timothy. He said, Timothy, you got to deal with these false teachers. Because guess what? Timothy was in Ephesus. And what Paul said would possibly happen, did happen. And they obviously hadn't followed his um, teaching here to the full extent. And so how do they do that? They do it by false doctrine, by diversion, getting our minds and our hearts and our affections and our emphasis on the wrong things, and division. Well, I think a little this way, I think a little this way, and now it splits the church. It doesn't matter how it happens, whether it's false doctrine, diversion, or division. Satan doesn't care how he does it. It's simply we need to keep our eyes open for these types of things, divisiveness and false doctrine. Here it says perverse things. It just kind of covers everything. And then we need to have an investment in ministry. Ministry is not a side issue to a Christian. It is a part of, intricately a part of your Christian life. It says, therefore, be on the alert Remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. Paul said, you have to have an investment here. He said, I had an investment. I don't know exactly what that last part means, but his heart must have been broken. Maybe he was just so serious and saw the, the lack that he was just like, Lord, what do I do? And was crying. I don't know. It doesn't really tell us. But here's what it does tell us. Paul was invested in the ministry in every possible way. He taught them truth. He lived the truth. And he emotionally was attached to them. You cannot really do ministry if you don't care and love about people. In fact, there's one of the things you'll see on the back of that page is people don't care what you have to say unless they first know you care. I totally go with that. Because it's biblical. It's absolutely true. We need to be invested 
in ministry. It needs to be something that's a priority and something that we put our best into it. The word alert here uh, reminds me of a passage, and you might want to, it's not on your page, but you might want to put Ezekiel chapter 33 verses 1 to 6 in there. I'll give you the thumbnail sketch of what it says there. I believe it's a premier to all Christian leaders of any stripe, all Christian ministers of any stripe. It says there, and it's talking about the nation of Israel, and it says, if Israel appoints a man to be a watchman, puts him on the wall of the city, and now he sees the enemy in the distance. He has a horn, and he has to blow the horn to warn the people, get ready, battle is coming, the enemy is at the gates. It says that when he sees the enemy, he blows the trumpet, but if they don't react to it, remember this, you got to remember this if you're ministering, you have a responsibility to give the truth, it's not your responsibility to make them do it. He blows the trumpet and they don't react and they don't get their weapons and they don't take their posts on the wall and, and do all the things they need to do, their blood is on their head. You've done your job. I'll tell you what, I've had to come back to that one a few times because I tell people this is what God says, this is what you should do, and they don't do it, and then their life's a mess. You know, do I go and beat myself up? I'm like, I go look and say, did I tell them the truth? Did I show them the truth? Did I do all of those things? Did did I put myself out there for them? I think I did. Okay, then it's on them. On the other hand, it says, if they've appointed the watchman, he sees them coming and he says, ah, you know what? Not a big enemy, not really all that tough. Uh, You know, we'll be okay. I don't want to disturb anybody. So I'm not going to blow the trumpet. They come in, they destroy everybody. God says, I require their blood on the watchman's head. That's a minister. By the way, that didn't say pastor. I didn't say elders. I didn't say Sunday school teachers or any of those things. I said ministry. Minister. That's you. If you're a Christian... You should be. That's you. You need to blow the horn. What they do with it, that's between them and the Holy Spirit. But you have a job to make sure that you're invested in the ministry and that you're alert and you, and you do sound the alarm. But also know one other thing. Know your limits. I'm going to say this tonight in my report. I, by the way, the report says I'm here 30 years. I'm not. I'm here 29. I can't, I can't add and subtract yet. But uh, anyway, you know what? I realize, and I've kind of said it already, is all these years later, I realize that what I do is so small. Because the bottom line is I'm not the one. I'm in one instrument, one tool. But God and His Word, and that's what it says in this last verse. It simply says, and now I commend you to God, the person of God, and to the Word of His grace, which is, at that point, not fully written yet. The canon isn't complete, but now we have the complete, finished work of God and His writing. He says, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, here's what it comes down to. Do you have a job as a Christian, as a minister? The answer is absolutely yes. On the other hand, it's not all dependent on you. The Holy Spirit, for starters, I already talked about that one. But it's to God himself. God is the one that cares about people more than you do. God is the one that can do things you can't even think about doing. He is supernatural. We're natural. 
And then it is the word of His grace. His word. We need to make sure that everything we do is based on this. Nothing more, nothing less. He says it's able to build them up, strengthen them, take them to where they need to be. And it says among those who are sanctified. In this case, yes, when you get saved, you're set apart from sin to God. That's sanctified also, but that's justification. But this is talking about progressive sanctification, where you are starting here as a baby Christian and going to mature adulthood, step by step. He's saying that God is the one that guides that process. His word is our guide, our instructions for that process. And that's what he wants to do on a continual basis. And we need to understand, it's not okay just to have somebody get saved. It's not just okay for them to come and sit in a pew in church and worship God. Wonderful things, but it goes way beyond that. Because all of us should be evangelizing. We should be teaching. We should be an example. We need to be, and my... What I teach as a philosophy of ministry is every Christian should be in ministry. Big, little, lots, it it doesn't matter, public, private. It it really has nothing to do with any of those things. It has to do with, am I ministering to people? That's the bottom line. If you flip over, and I'll do this really quickly. The reason I gave you this is because I knew this was going to happen. And I want you, I, I really want you to take this, use it with your devotions, read it over, do whatever you want. I'm just going to point a few things out of here. But uh, what are the practical conclusions of all of this? First of all, plain everyday caring about people is the start. Nobody gets saved because you care about them. But they will listen to you. It's the platform. Good works are platform for giving the truth, whether it's evangelism or otherwise. We need to know sheep. You cannot say, I don't like people, but I'm ministering for God. You will, nobody's going to listen to you. It's just not it. You need to rub shoulders with people. You, you need to be with sheep. You can't say, well, I'm a Christian. I don't want to be tainted by those things. Well, look at Jesus. Look at the Apostle Paul. Believe me, they had no problems rubbing shoulders with those that were not all that savory characters. Did they do what they did? No. But they stood out as a bright, shining light among that crowd. That's what we have to do. That's why I was so proud when I heard about our young people and this waitress who had no problem sharing her faith either. Uh, You know what? They were shining lights. That's what I like to see. That's what I believe God wants us to do. And you have to be following the lead shepherd, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, if you're going to shepherd people. Actually, if I really wanted to be absolutely honest here, every one of these places except for right here should say under shepherd. We're not the shepherd. He's the shepherd. We're under shepherds. We follow the shepherd. We are sheep who have been made a shepherd. We follow him. And then we can lead others. We can show others. We can go down through here and and look at a whole lot of things. There's a place where we need to comfort other people. There's a place we need to confront other people. All of these things come out of this. We need to know what's going on. We cannot live in a little dark room and say, Oh, I'm ministering and I'm staying away from sin and I'm holy and all that, and like in the monastery or convent. No, we need to be among people. Because you don't have ministry if you're not among people. It just doesn't work that way. And uh, we, first of all, do 
and lead us by example. And then we have to remember that we are to zealously guard the sheep from all enemies. And as I started this sermon, our biggest enemy is normally me. No, not me. You. You as an individual. That's the whole, the whole point here. One last thing, and I want you to look at number 12 on the back there. Normally we hear this as the police officers or the thin blue line. I appreciate peace, police officers. They are that protection between the bad guy and people that want to live peaceably. But you know what? I believe as a part of the philosophy of ministry of all Christians, we are the thin red line. We represent the one who shed his blood to a world that desperately needs that knowledge. They need that salvation, that forgiveness, that eternal life. We alone can do this. We cannot look to the world. We don't even look to the, and I'm going to put it in quotes, the church. Because the church is an organization. It's, it's, it's not hands and feet and mouth and all those things. It's not a heart. It's not emotions. But we, as individual Christians, sometimes banding together as the church, we are that thin red line. The world is not going to do our job for us. The fact is, sometimes it's even against us. We need to be the one who conveys that truth. We need to be the one that's there. Just like a police officer. We need to be there to meet the need, whatever that need happens to be. Philosophy ministry, you're a minister. They don't care what you have to say unless they first know you care. As the men come and gather, just a few words of uh, instruction as we come to the Lord's Supper. Obviously, everything we've just talked about has to do with and is based on and is totally worthless if it doesn't have as its source the work of Christ. Communion is a time where we are to examine ourselves. And as the men come forward, and even now, if you know there's something not right in your life between you and God or between you and someone else, you need need to be praying right now. Or don't take communion. I hope everybody takes communion. But do you know what? If you're not right, don't take communion because it says we eat and drink judgment unto ourselves. Because it's a time of examination where we look and say, am I living worthy of what Christ has done for me? If I'm not, then I should refrain till I get that straightened out. But it's also a reminder that we proclaim His death until He comes. It's a reminder that we are ministers. We're proclaiming His death. That's the basis of all of our ministry. I'm going to ask as Brother Brad, and as he's praying, if you know there's something you need to deal with, don't listen to Brad. I hope you listen to Brad and pray along with him. But you know what? If there's something in your life you need to get dealt with, don't listen to Brad. You pray to God yourself. Brad? Father God, thank you for bringing us together this morning and bringing us before this table uh, to take part in this, what you instituted for us to help us remember. Let's face it, we are forgetful people, many distractions in this life. So thank you for instructing us to partake in this as we uh, look at these symbols, what they represent. Help us to be brought uh, to your cross. And just the symbols, too, as they're all equal portions, just reminds us that we're all on equal footing before your cross. We're uh, beggars asking for your mercy. And we are um, at that place this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.
The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. And ask Brother Joe if he would thank the Lord for his shed blood. Father, as we're reminded in the Old Testament when the Israelites had to put the blood over the door lentils, and then Isaiah says that you were wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity. You shed your blood so that we could have forgiveness of sin. And Father, we thank you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, This cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink from it, all of you. If you would please rise as we are dismissed with prayer. Father, every time we come to the Lord's Supper, it's a time of joy because we know sin has been dealt with once for all. The payment in full has been given. It's also a time of sobering reminder that we have a task before us. Those who have given much, much is required. And Lord, part of that is that we minister in your name, that we truly proclaim his death until he comes, that we keep our lives unspotted from the world, that we live an example and a testimony to those around us. Lord, I pray that because of what we've seen today, that we would leave here instructed and equipped and challenged and encouraged to live the Christian life to the fullest and minister in your name. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God and minister someone else.